welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Hannah Surya, founder of Threadaputic, a sustainable artisanal textile studio that is passionate about fabric reconstruction with the goal of minimizing waste. Based in Jakarta, Indonesia, Threadaputic produces one-of-a-kind contemporary bags, accessories, and home furnishings handcrafted from their signature faux chenille textile pieces, which have been sourced from dead stocks and offcuts from the garment industry. We'll hear about what started out as a hobby, turning into a sustainable brand, what it means to be amongst the first brands in Indonesia that uses waste products and how that brand empowers others through their work, and how she would like Threadaputic to be remembered. On with the show. Hi, I'm Hannah Surya from Threadaputic Indonesia, and uh, we are a social enterprise that upcycle uh, fashion waste from the government uh, fashion industry in Indonesia. Tell us about how it all began and how you came up with the name Threadaputic. Uh, yes, Threadaputic is uh, started off as a, a hobby. Um, sewing is my hobby, so it's uh, every time I, when I when I sew something by hand, it's very therapeutic. So my daughter came up with a name. She, she, she's the one who suggested that why not we join uh, thread and therapeutic at the same uh, into one word, so it becomes therapeutic. That's how it came about. Therapeutic is for me is something like. Uh, imperfections intended for good. So imperfections come in in the people that uh, we work with and the materials. And we're trying to combine these two components and make something uh, good out of it. You know, like making good products out of waste. And in fact, in a way, in a sense that it means uh, the people that we work with, uh, they they come in from various backgrounds. And they are housewives, untrained uh, uh, young people that uh, are high school dropouts, or just a, a seamster that uh, has been laid off from their previous job because they are too old to work. Yeah, so we we uh, we, we don't, all of us doesn't have any background in upcycling, but we learn through trial and error. So Hannah, how did what started out as a hobby turn into a brand? Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So um, that was that was what I do uh, in private, right? Sewing and um, as a hobby. But then uh, when I was um, when my girls has uh, is uh, all grown up and they all in the university, I was pretty much bored with what with my life. Because I, uh, I was a full-time house homemaker, and I stayed home most of the time. I just uh, cook for them and take care of their their needs. But then at the, uh, there's a certain uh, stage of my life, which is I think it's close. I'm old, maybe at forty-seven years old. Yeah, that's the time I'm starting to question what should I do. 
uh, I mean, what do I want to do with my life in, 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 uh, instead of just taking care of children and family? What do I really want? Uh, so uh, that came uh, an opportunity that my, my cousin has a fashion event. So she asked me whether I would like to help her with correspond, uh, doing the event correspondence and entertaining the guests when they have their foreign guests when they have the event. So uh, that was the first year. And the second year, I got, uh, very, I got very tired doing it because I have to socialize a lot with people, which is not my, my, my specialty. <laughs> so uh, so uh, then my cousin asked me again whether, uh, okay, uh, for the, second, the next event, we are trying to have a um, goodie bag, a uh, souvenir bag for the media people who covers the event. So would you like to do something uh, to, uh, uh, from, from for, uh, to make the, the souvenir bags, okay? All right. Uh, I was pretty clueless what I, I was supposed to do. Uh, I was given uh, the materials that I was able to work with, uh, fashion offcuts, the fabric offcuts, the leftovers uh, from, the, from those fashion designers that are particip- participating in the event. And then they, are, they have a lot of post-event banners, the vinyl banners, uh, I think you know, what you call a PVC banners. So those two we, uh, are the raw materials that I have to work with. So uh, at that time, my, my, my cousin, as a fashion designer as well, she also has a workshop, but it's not running. Uh, it's not uh, in, uh, running anymore. But she still has a uh, um, a simster, which is uh, at that time he was probably fifty six years old, fifty five years old. So he has nothing to do. So he's so I have one simster, and then I have a niece that is also helping me with the design of the bag, and then I have another young girl who is a, a, a high school drop off. Uh, drop out, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, so I have a team of three people to to uh, experiment with making goodie bag out of the, those ways. That's how it started. And then, but we also give it a boost at that time for during the fashion event for uh, for us to showcase our other upcycled uh, products. Back then, I, I still don't know anything about upcycling or uh, sustainability. We just make uh, try to make it work. And the first, uh, I want that project, the souvenir uh, bag project. We the first time we made about two hundred plus pieces for the event, and we have to uh, outsource the sewing part. That's how uh, Trendopudic uh, came about. What a great origin story! Was there a moment where you said, "Okay, let's make something out of this"? Yeah, that was uh, during. Uh, it was actually during the uh, the event, the fashion event that uh, we told um, that we made the bags for. Uh, the response was pretty good, so I thought, why not we make it into a um, well? I wasn't wasn't very sure it can be it become a business, but I thought since the raw materials are free for us to to to, I mean, we don't have to buy the raw materials. Why not make something out of it? And we already have a small team who are willing to to experiment and uh, find ways to to make uh, the products. Yeah, I thought, um, well, why not give it a try? Not we have nothing to lose. And how do you cultivate impact, both on a personal level and as a brand? So uh, for me, 
it's more like uh, starting from from where I am, my community, uh, the people that I associated with, and uh, the materials that are available in my in my in my uh, in my community. It's uh, always within my my own boundary. So how how do I make impact? I guess from is it's about waste. We just keep telling our stories. And then we share our work with uh, with students, even though we are in, in experience, but we always are trying to share our work with uh, people that we know, with students who are eager to find out how what how we do it. And then we also work with uh, different uh, different communities, like uh, like a Diet Canton Plastic is uh, like a uh, organization that deals with uh, waste, plastic waste. Yeah, so we, we work with them as, as well by uh, by sharing our work, and then we go also go uh, invited to to share um, our know-how about upcycling uh, PVC banners to waste bags, and yeah, it's always all through all those um, other communities that we uh, we work. Uh, I mean, we work with to build impact. Could you tell us more about how you work with students? I love sharing my our stories to students, especially because they are the one who who learn about designs, and I would encourage them to work with us. Uh, I mean, to uh, to make greater impact by um, sharing their their know how about designs, how to upcycle waste. Yes, with students, uh, usually they would ask for internship with us. So we would share how, how we upcycle our fabric and they, uh, in, uh, they also uh, teach us a new way of uh, upcycling fabric waste. But sometimes the technique is just too complicated because students uh, tend to have a, a lot of theories, right? But it's very difficult to apply them into production. I mean, to scale up. Yeah, because design uh, is design is one thing, and then but when you're trying to scale up, it's not not easy. That's why we, we have to help, uh, help them uh, find ways that to help us in return. Yeah, so we also um, will be invited to share with uh, a design school, which is a, a small design school in Jakarta, and uh, basically just share our work with them. And encourage them to, to uh, I mean, to find other ways probably to, to work with and uh, come with good designs and help uh, social enterprises like us. What are three moments that have made you proud as founder of Twitter Project? The one that made me proud, when especially when the one uh, the people who work with me, for instance, my my niece. She's like me, a homemaker, and she doesn't have any background in designs and whatsoever. But through the years that she learned from uh, how to upcycle and uh, through trial and error, she was able to share her work with uh, other people. I mean, able to teach how to, to, to upcycle, which is uh, for me, it's incredible. She's very shy, but she's able to uh, have the courage to stand before students that she doesn't know and uh, who are actually uh, more, much more educated than she is and able to share her work with them. Yeah, and then uh, there are moments that the first time that we had to sh- showcase our tapestry, upcycle tapestry in Paris, and that was also one of the greatest moments because I, I am able to share uh, who made 
those tapestries and what the materials came from. And they, they, were, they were quite impressed with the, uh, because what they see, they, uh, they see it wasn't uh, something that looks upcycled. Biggest pr uh, proud moment is always about my, on my team. When they are able to, to excel, I mean, to do more than what well, people expected expect them to do. And that's my biggest moment. And what is it that keeps you up at night? Hmm, things that keep me up at night. Uh, when we have big projects, for instance, like uh, the panel work uh, that we did for our uh, architectural panel for, um, um, for an architect company, it's a, a project for the bank. So we have to come up with a series of uh, a, a palette of colors that has to be consistent for um, like 99 meters square of our uh, surface. So it's uh, because most of our waste came from, uh, we, we don't buy our waste, raw materials, right? It came from the, um, from the factory, the garment factories that we uh, partnered with and, and some individuals, private donations as well, contributions. So uh, it will, I would be very stressed uh, to um, make sure that we have a consistent supply of the, uh, the same color palette for that project. And the time frame as well, the, work, the working time frame. When working with a, a big project, or especially with you have to work with an architect company, they have a very short time frame. Everything has to be rushed. And um, the good thing is uh, we have a, the, the, uh, a partner with the government factory where we got the offcuts from, and they are the one who are, who are helping us to sew. The, uh, the basic part of the the whole uh, of the uh, show, uh, making the four Chanel. yeah. But uh, but it's it, it, our first project is the one that um, um made me very stressful and uh, yeah, keep keeping up at night trying to meet the deadline and the raw materials. The panel projects that we did uh, during the COVID, I mean the, the pan pandemic year last year. So you could imagine how how hard it is to get the materials as well as a lot of factories that have uh, garment factory has closed down. Could you tell us more about where you get your raw materials? Where do you source them from? So uh, we work with a garment factory in um, uh, in Jakarta. It's uh, it's always in our uh, not far from where we work. So uh, this garment factory uh, they export. Uh, uh, garments to, to uh, European countries and US as well. So we know that uh, they have good quality uh, fabric of cut. And these are one source. The, the continuous supply comes from garment factories uh, that uh, do uniforms as well. And then there are parts that comes from fashion brands, the Jakarta fashion brands. Uh, there were like uh, Sukachita that we worked with, and then there are Purana, all our local fashion brands that are willing to, to contribute their upcuts. And then there's also um, a private contributions from individuals. And uh, so we also work with coffee uh, roasting, roasting, uh, coffee roasting company to get our Verlap uh, um, coffee sacks and the canvas coffee sacks that we combine up, up to make our bags. And then the uh, banners, uh, yes, we got it from uh, mostly the, uh, have them from, from event organizers. 
And uh, when we make the fabric, we also try to combine all the, uh, the weight, I mean, uh, our products with other other raw materials like the coffee sacks and the event banners into the construction of our products. By the way, all these, uh, the raw materials that I mentioned earlier, it's 90% free. We don't have to pay anything. It's some of the materials that we have to buy. Well, for instance, the purple, uh, we, we wouldn't have a, uh, a steady supply of the purple color that we did for the, uh, the panel project. We have to buy the leftover fabric. Usually we have to go to like a, like a warehouse. Um, I mean, uh, like, a, yeah, oh, we can, so we buy wholesale at a very, uh, uh, I mean, as much. Yeah, it's basically the garment factory leftover fabric that we have to buy. 10%. When we first started, we used to buy uh, to buy the leftover from fabric garments uh, for the zippers and, uh, and the buttons and even the threads for sewing. But then uh, when it comes to uh, when we have to export, starting to export to sell it overseas, uh, we, we, we dare not to use those, uh, uh, those uh, leftovers because they may have been stored for a long time. And some uh, we we always test even zippers that we have to uh, that we bought from leftovers uh, or production leftovers. We have to test them and make sure they they really work before we use them. But uh, most uh, sometimes it's um, they get very very hard and it's not very smooth. And the zipper cannot be very smooth. So that's why we have to buy some uh, zippers, especially new ones, to make sure the quality is there. And what about your range of products? What does that consist of? Our main products are basically the fabric that we make from offcuts. Uh, offcuts uh, made into faux chenille. Uh, that's a, the, even the fabric range itself. It, uh, it depends on the uh, the thickness of the layering that we we made the fabric. If it's, supposedly, if it's uh, for uh, to be used again as garment as a, as an apparel, it has to be uh, like only four layers. And then if it's a thicker for bags, for instance, the, the fabric that we use to make bags are like six layers. And then for the panel, it can be six to eight layers. And then the, there are the tapestry. It all comes from the same technique that uh, we develop um, the fabric from. It just uh, depends on the uh, layer, how many layers are suitable for different kind of uh, um, use. For the tapestry, it can go up to 12 layers. Because it, that means that the, the the thicker the, the layering, it means better texture. So that's that's one of our product, which is the fabric. And then uh, from the fabric, we make bags, we make tapestries, up to wall uh, panels. Our main uh, products now are still bags. So we're trying to to expand more into uh, home furnishings like the tapestries and the cushion covers, uh, table runners, and um, yeah, those are our um, uh, products. And yeah, I think you'll, you'll find that our product range are quite big for most people. So uh, I mean, they, they could, couldn't imagine how we will scale up with so many product range. But for me, it's more like uh, to try to go to different areas. I mean, like from the normal fabric for bags, it can be used for as a soft furnishings. It can be for carpets. It could be for wall panels. 
it's uh, it's very uh, exciting for me. <laughs> How would you like Thread the Project to be remembered? What would you like its legacy to be? That we could uh, that we, we we could empower people by working with waste and make higher quality products for them. Yeah, I, I think um, in Indonesia, it's uh, it is still very. I think not many people are able to scale up by upcycling. So we are probably the first one that uh, able to do that with the uh, with uh, projects like uh, the wall panels. That's uh, one of the ways that we, uh, we 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 prove that we can actually scale up. And yeah, I would like to have more. Pockets of, um, uh, I mean, communities doing those instead of just uh, therapeutic. I would like to see even my workers, even if they stop working with with me, if they go back to their village, probably they can set up their own business. This kind of new business is still uh, very new in Indonesia, um, but I'm sure because of the waste problem that we have. It's a big uh, waste is actually a big opportunity for the to use as a business. What does it mean for you to be amongst the first brands to use waste products in this way? I think it it means more than just me and doing as um, I mean it's not just me uh, trying to achieve something, but it's more because I can help people who come into my life to 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 do this as upcycling as a business, to empower them upcycling. I think that's the part that is uh, that kept me going all this time, working with people that, that uh, I mean, underprivileged in a sense. That's my biggest um, accomplishment. And how receptive are consumers to sustainability, upcycling, and just the general repurposing of waste in Indonesia? Uh, yes, I think uh, in Jakarta, there's a, a, the movement about waste uh, has started as about almost about the same time that I started. It's like five years ago. And the, uh, the, the first community that we know that uh, uh, um, that is uh, trying to encourage people to refuse plastic is the Diet Canton Plastic uh, Organization. Uh, yeah, um, I happen to know the lady who, who, who founded it. So, uh, so they're the one who uh, we work closely with since uh, we, we first started. And they, um, they encourage, they, I mean, they, they really work hard to reach out to young people to uh, do the, the, the uh, uh, plastic diet campaign and also trying to uh, to work with the government and, and so on. And, and then from then on, uh, there are many other uh, communities that start ma- uh, started to mushroom in Jakarta, and that uh, that tackles uh, that uh, and discourage about uh, to how to um, collect waste and how to process waste and that kind of thing. And it becomes like a trend when it first started. But now I think the young people are, are really keen. I mean, they're really uh, uh, starting to to apply to their personal life. So from there, I guess the young people who are trying to influence their parents, in a way. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, the waste awareness are, are increasing in Jakarta. 
especially but it also um, it goes to the cities beyond uh, Jakarta like Bali Bali is a very uh, is a tourist uh, city, uh, town or what they call a tourist city and um, I mean there are a lot of foreigners who came in and, and, and also create awareness about waste and also Surabaya uh, it, 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 I mean it, it spreads to other cities as well which is good it's just sometimes the policy the government policy um, it's not really uh, help. I mean, uh, it's not really enforced. You know, they want uh, to try to eliminate waste and trying to um, to uh, cut down on plastic waste and so on. But the policy is not. The policy is uh, is set up, but it's not enforced. That's a major problem as well. So it's, it depends on us individual to be conscious about it. What would you do if you could be unreasonable and there was nothing holding you back? Hmm. I would really like to have a, a big place where I can have a workshop as well as a training center to upcycle waste and where people could come and stay and learn from each other in a way uh, about how to upcycle waste. It's not just fabric because we, we only know how to upcycle fabric of course, but I'm sure other people will have interest in other things. So it becomes like a hub of um, upcycling information, something like that. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, I would like to have pockets of different villages, or most of the workers come from to Jakarta to work. But uh, I, I would like to see uh, if they could have their own uh, place to um, to upcycle and to, uh, to create products, creative products uh, for, uh, to sell in their own villages, for instance. And that actually, if you want to train them, we, we would need funds for it. And whenever, if money is no problem, we could just travel and help them out. I mean, it will also, also I, I mean, uh, since uh, I was when I train my workers in my own workshop, I would like to see them grow. Uh, I don't I don't see them like a, just someone who work with me, and I just create uh, uh, products day in day out. But I would like to see them grow as so. well. Is there anything else you'd like to add? From the start, is uh, for me, it's not really about making money with waste. I would like to see Indonesia becoming a hub for uh, waste upcycling because we uh, we have the raw materials. I mean, the waste raw materials are there, and then the people are also there. There are a lot of artisanally trained people in, in Indonesia, but um, they are they are well versed in um, in making things. Uh, the artisanal way, but I wonder if, uh, if they could use this instead, instead of always sourcing new materials. Yeah, I would like to see that. Still, it's about empowering people with waste. Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, do check out our accompanying animation created especially for this episode.
The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Autism Gateway and soon to be launched, Their Stories Be Told.